1: John Copenhagen and Al
2: Warren on 106.5
0: FM Los Angeles 102.3 FM Riverside and
1: 1050 AM Palm Springs
0: Welcome back into the house of Mystery I'm Al Warren, Mr. Dave Joe Martino. <laughs> oh, the the boxing Joe, right? Well you were you weren't you doing That's karate it. the weekend? Wasn't it like Kung Oh yeah. Kung Fu and all that
1: stuff. Kung Fu, yeah. Yeah. Jeet yeah. Kune Do. Yeah.
0: Ali. Hong Kung Fui. Exactly. that Wasn't too. that a cartoon? That was. Yeah,
1: I remember. I that. love that cartoon. Yeah. I wonder what I I grew happened. up on that cartoon. That was my inspiration Al.
0: That was your inspiration. Wasn't that a dog Kung in Kung a Fui. karate outfit? Yes. 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 <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember they had the catchy little song
1: "Hong Kong Bui or whatever. Yeah, Scatman Carruthers uh, voiced. Of Kung course, Fu. you know all yeah. this. So of course, I detail. do.
2: This is your favorite show. Yeah, this is. I
0: barely, barely. I I remember it. Yeah. but and I'm older than you. How does that happen? Yeah, I don't know. You're insane. That's I'm right. in, I'm crazy. You see, that's I was feeling. I was probably feeling. I was a little too old. That's why.
1: I mean, at the time, it's like I can't
0: watch cartoons yeah exactly exactly far, far too old for this sort of stuff but you, know? <laughs> well, you took it too far you went, i did you, you got right into it i got right into it so That's how great. was how was the training good you oh, it was great Fix a math
1: um yeah of course <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah no we we worked together and-
0: yeah you don't, yeah. Well, I just meant beat, at the... Beat
1: the, at the crap out of each other.
0: I just meant at the, uh, you know,
1: the <laughs> salad bar. salad well, yeah, there's a buffet, you know. I'm the buffet. my way.
0: You <laughs> kicked yeah. your way through. Not yeah, exactly. Right Kicking shop. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I did two days of book signing, and I'm glad... Oh, that's over. right. I'm exhausted.
1: How was that? Oh, I'm my sure My arm,
0: arms are aching. Well, that's Actually, good. That's a good thing. No, it's a good thing, but my head is aching worse than my arms. <laughs> <laughs> it's really draining uh for those yeah. that don't know when you do these things it can be really draining it's not a bad oh, thing sure. i'm not trying to tell people it's bad it's just what i'm saying is it's really draining because you talk to a lot of people yeah. and they all tell you stories <laughs> and they all want you to write a story <laughs> yeah they'll give you ideas yeah, well yeah but i by the end yeah. of it i want to put my head in some water anyway <laughs> uh now we've got joining us a writer um so let's just get into this. So now the book is called The Patient Routine. That in itself scares me. So here we go. Luna Ray Hall, thank you for being here.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: The Patient Routine. Now it's, it's scaring me already. And it's, I, it's <laughs> is it, is, now this, is this really a horror sort of base story? Is this kind of a fictional horror story you've come up with?
2: Yeah, it's a a horror, mystery, thriller. Um, It deals with a lot of body horror, I would say, primarily, um, some of the basics. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely meant to scare and meant to um, unsettle you.
0: Yeah, sort of like Dave when he's at karate. Very unsettling. Very unsettling. Where do you come up with an idea for this, and what is the basic premise of this story?
2: Yeah, so the the pitch that I gave out was, um, it's a, uh, so it's a novella in verse. So it, I'm traditionally a poet, um, so that's my background. So it's written in poetic form, and um, it follows Ashton, who's a queer non-binary college student who suffers from um, health anxiety or hypochondria, as it used to be called, um, and after a night of, you um, Panic attacks, health related um, issues, they go to the ER. And when they go to the ER, the hospital goes under lockdown because a patient comes in with an unknown illness. And um, it's kind of their, their perfect storm of a nightmare um, with their health anxiety and the, the lockdown. And that's kind of the very basics of it. Um, and in my inspiration really is from my own personal experiences with health anxiety. And trying to really find the the, um, the darkest, most horrific angle of it and putting that into a book format.
0: With something like this, do you come up with kind of the idea first? Like, so I'm saying, like, you, so you have the thought of this character you have and what they go through and the hospital and all that stuff. Or is it, do you have this character running in your mind ahead of time and then decide to put them into it?
2: No, yeah, I think it's definitely more the the former where I thought up the situation and then came up with the the characters and the the actual event and the timeline after the fact. Yeah, I mean, I had been wanting to do something that dealt with this kind of material because um, it's really horrific for me. You know, it's very um, impactful for me, so I really thought that it could make for a really um, disturbing horror story. Um so I I came in it with that idea and then after the idea came I put in um the characters and put in the actual situation and um everything flowed from there.
0: Right. So when you're when you're uh putting the character and when you come up with the character that uh goes into the hospital there and, and how do you create that character? I mean I I'd, I'd imagine like with a lot of writers the character comes with a lot of you in it. But is there, so, is there something else? that goes into the creation of that character?
2: Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, I definitely think there are some aspects of myself in, in Ashton. I also think there are a lot of things that I've witnessed from friends and um, colleagues of mine that I've injected into that character too. I really wanted it to be, you know, I, I, I've gotten a lot of feedback um, since the books come out that, um, you know Ashton's not a terribly likable character and I think that was on purpose because I think they're going through a very difficult time and I think when I came down to it I think Ashton is kind of like the worst version of me in some ways that, that those aspects came into it but I think it's a lot of the first draft was very me oriented you know you know really using um, things for my real life and then as the the drafts began to, Develop, um, they became their own their own character with their, with their own unique idioms and idiosyncrasies throughout.
1: Well, you know, I was I was surprised to learn that like twenty to even fifty percent of people have uh, no internal dialogue so they, they can't really hear themselves think. So that was really, that kind of blew my mind. And I was wondering, do you have an internal monologue? Can you hear your characters? Is that how you create dialogue, or is there some other way that you do it?
2: Yeah, I've, I've actually, I've heard that too, and it's very <laughs> strange to me as well. But um, yeah, no, I definitely have, I, I, I do have an internal dialogue, and that's kind of how I create a lot of my writing, and um, a lot of things get, Um, I have OCD as well, so a lot of things get stuck, and I get obsessed with uh, phrases or images, and that goes into a lot of my poetry, so that worked similarly with this book. But the book itself also plays with the idea of an internal dialogue. Um, Ashton is almost in constant conversation with this anxious side of themselves that is, you know, egging them on or um, fighting them or trying to soothe them even at times. Um, So that that actually does play a big part of the book.
0: So it sounds like there's an important theme that you've got. Did did you intend on on people picking up a subtext or a meaning behind the book underneath the story?
2: Um, I definitely didn't set out for that. Um, I think it came out through it. You know, I think there's a big component of self-acceptance. I think there's a lot of, you know, trusting yourself, confidence in yourself. I think those things all come out through the book, but I didn't set out to do that. Really, I set out to, you know, originally the first draft was very um, crude and uh, just, I want to be scary because that was what I was feeling at the time was, these things are terrifying to me and I want to get that experience out. And then after I had the first draft, I realized that there was a lot more underneath. So the first draft, yeah, was definitely not, intended to have any kind of subtext originally
0: right well sometimes it just happens organically just as you're putting it together and yeah getting through the story and doing each draft sometimes it just works out um just by the situation you know um when you're doing it
2: yeah de- definitely and i feel like that's sometimes the best when it just kind of comes out naturally
0: yeah you don't have to really Plan it or think about it, and that means you've got the right story because the right story is bringing it out just, just you know, naturally, and that's kind of a good thing if you can do that. So your character's not likable. How come? <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, um, I think they, you know, I think it's just they're very indecisive. They're very, I mean, they fall for a lot of the things that the the anxiety or the you know various elements in the hospital are putting on them i think that's where a lot of the unlikability comes from where they're just you know I, i i think there's this idea in a lot of people's heads that main characters have to be kind of the hero character and they are certainly not the hero character they make mistakes they they screw up often and um they are very open about speaking their mind of the various flaws that they have even if it's not going to portray them in the best light. And um, I think that's kind of where a lot of the un- unlikability comes from. Um, but I've also had people say they really love the character. So, I, you know, it depends on the person.
0: Consider it to be kind of a long narrative poem. How, how does it differ from when you write a, a short story or a story itself when you're doing it in poem form? So what would that mean to someone that um, is not familiar with that?
2: Yeah, um, I think that's a super good question. I I think for me, it gives me the chance to play with formatting a lot. I I play with a lot of white space and um, play with words on the page. Um, And I think that gives, the thing that I think it gives the most is tension and anxiety. Like it really frames and it's formatted in a way that is intended to kind of get you that anxious feeling as you're reading throughout it. You know, it's very quick, it's very fast-paced, um, and it gets quicker and faster, and the lines get shorter as the, the panic kind of sets in, and, it, and I'm able to manipulate the, the length of the lines and everything to kind of hopefully get the reader to read at the pace that I want them to and also be able to do more creative wordplay on the page that you couldn't just do in, like, a pro story, So for me, that's that's the intention that I got uh, that that I went into it with as I was doing it in prose here or in the poetry format. Because I did write a version eventually. (laughs) Actually, when I gave my publisher um, the first draft of it, after they had picked it up, I said, I was like, hey, I have a prose version. If you think that would work better, because I just put it in prose. Um, And, you know, we both agreed that the, the poetry works significantly better for this story. Just because of how fast and panicky it is, um, and I think the poetry format really helped um, illuminate that kind of function.
0: What does it take to write something like that? Like how, maybe put up, put out a scenario for us. Like what is it? What is it like to to try and write in poetry form as opposed to just normal prose?
2: Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is considering your word choices. Um, with prose, you have a bit in my experience, you have a bit more leeway with being able to use um, more exposition or use more uh, just words in general to be able to get across the things. So, I mean, my book is very, it has a lot, a lot happens in a very short amount of time. And despite it being, you know, an average novella length, um, it has a lot that happens in terms of the plot and story just because as opposed to, you know, something that could take a few pages, it could take a few lines, and then it moves on. So I think that's the biggest thing to consider is, yeah, really word choice. I mean, that you can't afford to waste any words, and that, that kind of goes with, like, all poetry. I, I guess that would be the biggest thing for me. I haven't written a ton of prose. As I said, I come from a, a poetry background, so I'm, I write and think in poetry, I feel, most of the time. Um, so I guess I'm not sure... 100% the, the difference is always, um, this is just what comes natural to me. I,
0: I would guess that you have to use your words wisely and more, more precisely because you, you're using less words to get the same or even more. You have to get the same feeling across or the, the panic or the terror or whatever you're trying to get across to people. You also have to get people to understand the characters, but yet you have to do it in shorter, Less words.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, I think that's where a lot of the, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about the back and forth with the uh, like racing thoughts and the anxious thoughts, kind of that dialogue back and forth. And I think that's something that in a pro story you wouldn't be able to do as succinctly just because of, you know, all the added dialogue tags and all the other things that are just part of prose where I can cut out all of that and make it a really fast-paced back and forth with racing thoughts that hopefully trigger those similar anxious feelings in you while you're reading.
1: Now, now I believe there's a long tradition of using poetry uh, to tell ancient tales. Did you draw from older work for, for inspiration?
2: Yeah, so a, a bit. Um, yeah, there's definitely a very long history of you know epic, long-form poetry, um, and that's Definitely um, some inspiration. I took a lot of inspiration from there was a rise in, um, like, YA uh, novels for in verse in, like, the mid-2010s. There was a big rise in that. People who were writing a lot of -of coming-of-age stories in verse. Um, So I kind of took a lot of my inspiration from that. And I think that's partly how some of the self-acceptance, trusting yourself has kind of come in that was my version of it despite it being a darker definitely more adult oriented book but yeah I definitely you know I've I've read the classics and those have definitely played a part there's also a number of really good long longer form um, books that I can think of like Gabriel by Edward Hirsch Um, that one's a a great longer form book that tells a, a really powerful impactful story that I also took inspiration from.
0: So you've been writing poetry for a while now. Is that is that true? Like, what what is what have you been doing up till now before the the patient routine was it was released?
2: Yeah, I uh, I started writing poetry in about twenty thirteen. So it's been about a decade. I have uh, my first book came out in twenty twenty. It's called Loudest When Startled. It was um, a poetry book um, about gun violence and masculinity. And then I had a chat book, of poems come out last year that was about queerness and um, acceptance, and that was about uh, called the space neon neon space. So I've had a few books in the past come out before this one, uh, but this was definitely my first foray into something that was more uh, story driven.
0: What made you get into writing poetry? Like, what what where did it start for you, and and what gave you the let's say courage to actually put something out for the people to read in the public?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, I think I've. I, you know I know I've told this story a uh, uh, a bunch of times to you know dozens and dozens of people, but it always starts with um I was going to a community college. I had no clue what the heck I wanted to do with my life. I had to take English courses for my generals and i I, I took a poetry class and fell in love there um and i you know the teacher was very supportive uh they really supported me there and they thought I should go further into it so i i totally turned my college career on its head and went fully towards poetry went and got my bachelor's and master's in poetry and everything since then has just been poetry nonstop so
0: wow but uh, that's that's funny but it's not but it, did you um did you know this Ever since you can remember, like, we you, did, you think you were going to be a writer, or is this just a complete out of the blue experience?
2: Yeah. So, so my my mother, she always told me that I would write books as a kid, like little, like I would draw and write books about dinosaurs or alligators as a kid. And I don't remember any of these, and she can't find them, so I don't know how much the validity to those are, but definitely you know, as a, as a teenager, I definitely, English was one of my worst, worst classes. I was not great at it. I hated reading. I um, was not a great writer. I I remember taking a poetry class in like high school and I was really bad at it. I have some of those poems. um, And one day I will share them to the public on social media and it'll go poorly. But um, I think that, you know, originally I definitely did not intend to be a writer at all. I think it was definitely something that I fell in love with once I was given the right material, um, and given the right people to actually look at and see that poetry could do something different. Cause I think that was the thing that I was stuck on is that it was, I was really used to like, you know, rhyming like old classics. And I hadn't really been exposed to a lot of modern poetry that is doing really cool, weird, unique things that, I looked at it and I said, "Well, I want to do those and not, you know, Shakespeare."
1: I'm wondering, have you ever done performance poetry, like poetry slams? And if not, would you?
2: I, I have, yes, yeah, no, I definitely, I've done, um, I've done a lot of readings, I've done some slams. Um, it's definitely not my forte. <laughs> um, but I do have, um, my friends do say that I have, uh, I can turn on a slam voice and perform a poem if I need to, but it's definitely not my preference. I've heard a, um. Let the let the page do the talking most of the time.
0: Poetry slams, like what do you what do you? This old man doesn't know what you're talking about here. So what what do you mean poetry slams, Dave? You're just too with it for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, holy cow! I don't know what that is. So is that what what is a poetry slam?
2: Yeah. So it's a it's a. I mean, really, it's a performance. Um, I think a lot of them are judged um, in terms of you know. The quality of the story, the quality of the performance. But um, it, yeah, it definitely rose in the last 20, 30 years or so, where it's just this big um, event where people would gather and then perform their poems in a very theatrical way. I think that that's a good, like, it's very theater like, where it's um, the performance and the words are equally important.
0: In the 60s, we had the beatniks, and the beatniks would. Hmm. Yeah, being on a drum and then be very theatrical (laughs) about reading poetries or reading lines, you know, it's sort of a cool thing to do. But, you know, that was last century.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there was some inspiration from that era.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that had some influence somewhere down the road. But, uh, where do you think you're going to go with all this? Like, what, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, where, do you think you're going to get into more, more writing of stories or are you going to continue with poetry? And what's, what's the world out there like for poetry right now? What's the, um, publishing idea like? Is it, is it real successful now? Is there a lot of poetry and a lot of people doing books and? I guess slamming and all that stuff. Like, what's 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 the situation for poetry right now in in, in North America?
2: Yeah, so uh, I'll I'll take the first one first. So for me, I have another book coming out in the beginning of next year. It's a, my next full length poetry collection called "No Matter the Diagnosis," which is similar kind of topic but much more personal um, and much more involved with the hospital system itself and the ramifications of kind of being stuck in that loop. Um, and I definitely intended to write more um, horror, mystery, thriller-type books. I have um, a few that I've written since The Patient Routine that are, you know, out getting queried with uh, publishers, and I'm hoping to finish. I've already finished the first draft, but I'm hoping to kind of get it revised and in a good place of my first um, novel um, that's horror, mystery as well. Um, so that's kind of the future for me. In terms of the poetry world in publishing, it's kind of a mixed bag. I think most of the really solid work comes from small indie presses. Um, I, I come from Minnesota, so I always shout out Grey Wolf, Milkweed, and Coffeehouse. They're kind of the stalwarts of poetry for the last decade plus. And But there are, you know, big-time publishers who do make a lot of money if you get a certain type of poetry um out there that resonates with people there's a lot of um uh, you know derogatorily it's called like instagram poetry um and i think that kind of sells pretty well and that's kind of the realm that some people get gravitate towards but um i think a lot of poets are in the indie sphere working and grinding out um books for little little to no monetary value you're
0: not making a million
2: bucks. I'm certainly not. There might be some, but <laughs> yeah.
0: no, it can be that way. I mean, that's how it is, kind of. Well, it's interesting, but um, so what? What? What's your process? Are you? Do you find that you're um, very sensitive to what's around you as being a poet? Uh, like, as in, can you just sit down and write, or do you have to be in a certain headspace?
2: Yeah. So I kind of come in a, a couple of different ways. So if I if I sit down and intend to write, I need it to be super quiet, and I need it I generally put on, like, really quiet, like, not, uh, like, instrumental music, um, and I try to shut out everything, but at the same time, I also get, I, I think a lot of of my poems start as, like, one lines or, like, one image, and those can come at any time, and so I'm always, I have this huge um, list of notes in my, on my phone, so I'll just write down lines or images over, um, and then I'll take those, and then I'll, go to my quiet place, you know, and it could be a day later, a week later, you know, however long it takes, and I'll let the poem go from there. So um, primarily, yeah, quiet, and I'm always observing. I think a lot of my work comes, again, because I'm from Minnesota, a lot of it's nature-based, so that's just kind of, that's a stereotype of Minnesota poets that we all write about nature, so that's definitely something I'm always observing and trying to, to learn more and See things in a different way so I can take that into poems. Yeah. So it's a little both. Well,
0: when things are going on around you, but I, it, for instance, like through the pandemic, this could have been written, I guess, over that time period. But when something like that's going on and something stressful or, you know, weird things going that's totally unusual, are you able to write or do you shut down? Like, how, how does that affect you?
2: Yeah. So I, I, because so I put out my, uh, my first book in. 2020. So that was right. Uh, it was fall of 2020. So it was peak pandemic. And then I gave myself about a six month break from writing and I barely wrote. Um, and then I actually got laid off from my, my full time job. Um, and I wrote the patient routine, Space Neon, and no matter the diagnosis in the span of the summer. So I wrote those three when I had all this free time and I made that my full time job for a bit. Um, and since then, I've been trying to intentionally write. So even though when things get stressful, I think for me, um, writing is definitely an outlook to de-stress. But yeah, I mean, certainly these books, I mean, especially the patient routine, Like it. I mean, it's very heavily inspired, I would say, by some of the things that happened to uh, both me and others um, because of the pandemic or because of the way people acted about the pandemic. Um, so I think those things definitely need to be written about. For me, I, I'm able to translate some of the fears and the overwhelming feeling of isolation or impending doom of the pandemic into writing um, in a mostly positive way.
0: I was going to say all that that darkness must get in there somewhere, and I guess that's kind of what you're saying there. How do you think when you when you do this project or any of these projects that you've been writing over the pandemic, how do you think it changes you? As a person and a writer
2: yeah I mean that's a that's a great question. I know for the patient routine it, it for me as a person it really expanded my, my view of I guess the the world you know I, I was very I've spent a lot of years and a lot of time in the hospital system and I've spent a lot of, um, of my youth, um, you know suffering from various elements but I think this is the first time that I was able to really like sit down and kind of analyze and digest a lot of that so for me as a person it grew it, I was able to you know kind of accept a lot of things that happened for me as a writer I think it comes more in terms of obviously now I know a lot about structure and story and a lot of some of the things that prose writers may take You know, for granted that they just know off the top of their head that I was having to kind of learn on the fly here and there. But also just the sense of community. I think the horror community uh, of writers is really, really strong and super experimental and welcoming. And I think as a writer, it was really refreshing to be welcomed into a community like that as a first time horror author um, and treated just like anyone else.
1: Well, how did you find the horror community? I know I, I found the, the horror community, you know, way back in the early 2000s uh, on, on a message board uh, for, for a, a, a bookstore called Shocklines. Lines. Uh, how, how did you find everybody?
2: Yeah, I had been, you know, I definitely am very active on Twitter, or X, as it's called, as of this week. <laughs> um, I'm also very active on Instagram. Um, so those are the two primary things that I um, I had been searching for similar um, stories when I was developing this book of, you know, queer trans authors and what they specifically in horror and kind of what they were doing. So I reached out to a lot of them and became friends with a few of them. And then that's kind of my in of having that connection. So really, it was social media and then just reaching out and making those connections.
0: Mm, that's interesting. You know, uh, well, Dave, you found them on, in chat rooms. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So who, who are your favorite writers right now? Who, who are maybe even, you know, television writers or movies or, or poets or anything just all the way around. Do you have some favorite writers that you like to uh, read?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, um, my favorite, you know, I have a bunch of favorites, but Haley Piper, she's amazing, an incredible trans horror writer that's doing yeah, fabulous, fabulous things. Um, Nick Cutter, he's great. Um, he's another horror writer. Um, Matt Rasmussen, Patricia Smith, Denez Smith, um, those are all amazing poets. And then I have I have a a, a dozen of very close um, friends that I think are doing really phenomenal things. In the, in the poetry world. Um, so those are kind of I, I, – I lean on friends for recommendations a lot, and I lean on people that they know, then I learn them. So I, I, I read a lot of new people, but I definitely go back to those names that I I mention often.
0: Well, fantastic. So now, okay, let's give out what uh, you are on social media. Do you like readers to find you, and do you have, like, a website – and, and which so- social media you're on, and what's your username so people can find you.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, everyone feel free to reach out to me. I, uh, I respond to people very frequently. Um, I have a website, LunarayHall.com, and I am at LunarayHall on pretty much every single social media website there is. I'm on Facebook, X, Instagram, Threads, TikTok, Goodreads, uh tumblr i'm on pretty much everything at that same same at lunar Ray hall
0: well fantastic of course now we're going to have this up on our website as well so people can find you easily with one click and no don't have to be looking too hard you know, it's <laughs> tough tough for people nowadays but uh well that's fantastic well we appreciate you coming on the show and talking about uh your book and and poetry and some of the interesting things that you've been around so um, now, the book is called The Patient Routine, and our guest is the author of that and many other stories, which you can find on the website. We've got connected. So, Luna Ray Hall,
2: thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. It was, it was fun.
1: Thanks, Luna. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts,